Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. Some feel that God has given us the choice to do good or evil, while others say that God predetermines everything, and so ultimately, we really have no choice. As with many things, Calvary Chapel falls somewhere in the middle. We, of course, believe in the sovereignty of God, but we also believe that people have a choice. This is too deep to go into, but if this interests you, I'm reading a great book by John Lennox entitled Determined to Believe, in which he lays this out beautifully. So with all that said, I think that the Bible teaches us that God allows us to choose, but he also causes us to live with the consequences of our choices. It's like the man who had suffered a deep cut that required several stitches. As the doctor was about to finish, the man said, Hey, doc, I've been watching you do this, and so do you care if I finish up the last couple stitches? The doctor shrugged, handed him the needle, and said, Sure, suit yourself. I've been waiting two weeks to say that. We'll be spending our time on the, entire, the entirety of our time on verse 66, but mainly out of a portion from the book of Numbers in Numbers chapter 32. And speaking of Numbers, it has been noted that since this is John chapter 6, verse 666, we will be studying John 666. I bring that out because in the scripture, the number 6 is the number of man. And sadly, this verse portrays man's propensity to walk away from God. Look at verse 66 with me. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. As we touched on in our last sermon, some of the people who are introduced here as disciples does not imply that they were true followers of Christ. Remember, we learned that the term disciple refers to someone who attaches himself to a teacher as a student or a learner, but it does not imply anything about the disciples' sincerity or devotion. In addition to the disciples of Jesus, the New Testament also notes disciples of John the Baptist, the Pharisees, and of Moses. But here in John chapter 6, it seems that it finally dawned on them that following Jesus meant far more than merely just hanging around him and hoping to see and experience the physical benefits of his power. And so like the Jews in Judea, these Galileans hardened their hearts against the Messiah when he called for repentance and faith as a prerequisite to entering his kingdom. It is a terrifying reality that those who continually reject the truth may find that God can judicially harden their hearts. And even though these people had the incredible privilege of physical proximity to not only Jesus' teaching, but his actual presence, they still decided to walk away. They were so close, and yet they walked away. It reminds me of the book of Acts where Paul was brought before King Agrippa. And after sharing the gospel with him, we have one of the saddest verses in the entirety of Scripture when we read these words. Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to be a Christian. Almost persuaded. Agrippa could have said, Paul, what you are saying is making sense. 
But there are just some sins in my life that I'm not willing to lay down. C.H. Spurgeon wrote, Almost persuaded to be a Christian is like a man who was almost pardoned but was hanged. Like the man who was almost rescued but was burned in the fire. A man that is almost saved is damned. So since we have learned that there are two groups of disciples, there are those who are interested in the teaching, but like the shallow and stony ground here in Mark chapter 4, they quickly fall away because of troubles and tribulation. But the group that I want us to look at today is different. These are people who may be saved, and yet they follow Jesus more at a distance. We call them carnal Christians today. 1 Corinthians 3.12 speaks of this when we read, Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. That tells me you can be a believer, but live such a selfish and carnal life that you will have little or no reward in heaven. And people will be able to tell because the heavenly robe you are wearing will still smell like smoke a little bit. In many cases, these are not what we would consider bad people. They are just content with being saved. And they really aren't concerned with going any deeper in the faith. The only problem with that is that sometimes it can lead those people to places they never thought they would end up in. For the answer to all these questions, we'll be spending the rest of our time in Numbers chapter 32. Look at Numbers 32, verse 1. Now the sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad had an exceedingly large number of livestock. So when they saw the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that it was indeed a place suitable for livestock. Here were the children of Israel poised at last to cross the Jordan River into the land of promise. But wait, Reuben and Gad say, Moses, we don't want to cross over the Jordan. We like it here on the east side. We've got cattle and there's lots of grass here. This is a great place for business and economic prosperity. We want to stay here on the edge, on the east side. Who wanted to stay on the east side? The tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad, which will eventually become Gadara, which will be a prominent point at the end of the sermon. Now the word Saul, notice that, as when they saw the land. This can be likened to 1 John 2.16 where we read, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. It's not that the land is inherently evil, but their desire was contrary to the perfect will of God. Back in verse 1, it says they had an exceedingly large number of livestock. And wouldn't you know it, this place just happens to be suitable 
for livestock. It just makes plain common sense that this is where they should settle. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 exhorts us, we walk by faith and not by sight. And yet these two tribes have reversed that concept and are walking by sight instead of by faith. There have been many times in my own journey when God's way, quite honestly, didn't make any sense at the time. I can now look back and see his wisdom. But before that, like these two tribes, I couldn't see any reason not to settle down on the wrong side of the Jordan. Next verse, please. The sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben came and spoke to Moses and to Eleazar the priest and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Adaroth, Debon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elilah, Sebum, maybe, I don't know, Neba, and Beon. The land which the Lord conquered before the congregation of Israel is a land for livestock, and your servants have livestock. They said, If we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servants as a possession. Do not take us across the Jordan. So we see that we have what will become two and a half tribes who come to the Jordanian, Jordanian border and they decide, we don't want to go any further. We like it right here. This is good enough. And yet God had said, I'm going to bring you into a new land. It will be over the Jordan River. Not on the side that they're wanting to settle on. I think we can compare this group with what we could call border believers. They are a group that are living on the edge, but it's the wrong edge. Likewise, there are Christians who are redeemed out of sin, and yet they live their lives on the border. They never fully enter into what God has planned for their lives. And I can tell you from personal experience, the most miserable believers are border believers. Saved, but not satisfied. There have been times in my life where I have been lukewarm, and it has put me in a quandary. I no longer had the joy of the Lord, but neither could I fully enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. There is no worse place than sitting on the spiritual fence. Just like in our account here, these guys are satisfied with living on the very edge of God's promised land. This seems incredible to believe. You would think that their heart would be stirred and they would be saying, let us take this land. If God is for us, who can be against us? Instead, Reuben, Gad, and later, the half-tribe of Manasseh comes up with, you know what? This land is good grazing land. Good for cattle and sheep, and surely it's no coincidence that we just happen to have a lot of cattle and sheep. So if it's all the same to you, we think we'll just stay right here. This is again a picture of those who are willing to settle for less than God's best. Remember, earlier God had said he was giving all of Israel the promised land. God wanted them across the Jordan and into the land of Canaan. Yet these guys are content to live on the fringe or the edge of the promise. Because the land looks good, they're content to stay there. The interesting thing, though, is God had told them earlier that the land he was giving them across the Jordan was a land that flowed 
with milk and honey. A land that flows with milk means that it's a land that's great for grazing. And that it also flowed with honey means it was good for pollination, giving them all they would desire for vineyards and crops for their grazing. But they think they know what's best for their lives, and it isn't living in the promise. Does anyone see how that kind of thinking can apply to our lives this morning? This is a picture of the Christian walk. God has taken us out of Egypt, which is a symbol of sin, by including us in the Passover. Then we begin walking and and undergoing numerous trials and tests. But now we are on the verge of entering the promised land. Now, please listen closely for a minute. I don't think the promised land here refers to heaven. I think it speaks of the spirit-filled abundant life. Why? Well, there would still be battles to fight in the promised land. And we know that there are no battles in heaven. Except maybe who can eat the most cheesecake and not gain an ounce. So we know that there are giants in the promised land, but there are no giants of opposition in heaven. So I believe the promised land speaks in topology of the spirit-filled life. So how do we get there? How do we get out of the wilderness of carnality into the promised land of the spirit? I mean, these people are God's children, but it says they wandered around aimlessly murmuring and complaining. Do you know how that speaks to me? If I am not living in the power of the Spirit, if I try to do this Christian thing in my own strength, I too wander about aimlessly, often murmuring and complaining. So what do we need? A second baptism. Now this is what the Bible considers this group's first baptism. Listen to the words out of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. So they leave the land of sin behind, if you will, And then there at the Red Sea, they are baptized into Moses, who is a symbol of Christ. But they need another baptism. This one in crossing over the Jordan and into the Promised Land, which once again I believe is a picture of the Spirit-filled life. It's the difference between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. In Acts 1, the disciples believed in Jesus, but they were still fearful and unsure of their direction. In Acts chapter 2, however, the Spirit comes upon them, and we later read that they turn the entire world upside down. But Gad and Reuben say, we don't want that. We want to stay on the east side of the Jordan. It's comfortable here. We just want to stay here and take care of our cattle. That's a real danger for us. When we get to the point where we can say, I don't want to go any further with God. I'm happy and content right where I'm at. This is a very important truth that we all need to hear. God will never take us further in our spiritual life than we want him to take us. He'll never force you to go deeper. He'll never force me to go further. He may apply pressure through testings and trials, 
but he will always allow us our free will. Next verse, please. But Moses said to the sons of Gad and to the sons of Reuben, Shall your brothers go to war while you yourself sit here? Now why are you discouraging the sons of Israel from crossing over into the land into which the Lord has given them? Moses said, If you guys don't go to war with us, it will discourage the rest of the army. You know, we need to remember that our actions affect those around us. We are not an island unto ourselves. The things we do and the choices we make affect others, especially when it applies to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are what God considers a family. Now, if I got fed up and quit work tomorrow, my decision would certainly affect my wife as well as me since she would kill me. But likewise, we are linked to one another, just like body organs function together to produce a healthy body. And one ailing member affects the rest of the body. Moses will now remind them of how both disobedience and discouragement can affect the whole group. Next verse. This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For they went up to the valley of Eskel and saw the land. They discouraged the sons of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger burned in that day, and he swore, saying, None of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and upwards will see the land which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, for they did not follow me fully. Except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, and Joshua, the son of Nun, for they had followed the Lord fully. So now... Moses hears these words, and it's like deja vu. He's like, where have I heard this before? Oh, I remember. Your fathers did the exact same thing back in Kadesh Barnea. They came back with ten bad reports and paralyzed the rest of the nation with fear. Think of it. Ten men were able to discourage an entire nation from moving ahead with God. The ten spies came back with a bad report and said, Yeah, it is true that the land is nice, flows with milk and honey, just like God said. The only problem is all the cities are walled. Actually, all the cities weren't walled. But when you're negative, everything looks that way. And then they said, All the men are of great stature. No, they weren't. Not all the men were giants. But when you're negative, everything looks gigantic. I bet if we could have checked the blood type of those ten guys, it would have been B negative. So ten men turn a nation to up a million and a half people will die in the wilderness because of it. Next verse. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel and he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until the entire generation of those who had done evil in the sight of the Lord was destroyed. Now behold, you have risen up in your father's place, a brood of sinful men, to add still more to the burning anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, he will once more abandon them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all these people. Back in verse 2, Moses said that these tribes would once again discourage the people with their actions. Once again, I remind us, we have the ability to encourage or discourage 
those we come in contact with. I have a man whom I consider a spiritual father. He pastors in North Dakota. He would be the first to tell you that he has feet of clay, so I certainly don't think he's perfect. But I have a confidence in his walk and integrity that has stood for over 30 years. Now, what would happen this week if he ran off with the church secretary? Would I still serve God? Of course. But I would be terribly wounded, and a part of me would die with his ministry. All I'm trying to say is that our actions have consequences And so we should always keep in mind that the Bible says we are letters known and read by all men. Next verse. Then they came near to him and said, We will build here sheepfolds for our livestock and cities for our little ones. But we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the sons of Israel until we have brought them to their place while our little ones live in the fortified cities because of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the sons of Israel has possessed his inheritance. Now that sounds really good. If we didn't know the history of what occurred later, but history proves this was a terrible mistake. These two and a half tribes will be the first group to break fellowship with Israel. History records that even though this land was a beautiful place for livestock, they were easy prey for the enemies of Israel, and these tribes would be the first to fall to the Assyrians. They became the paganized part of the people of Israel. Listen to the account in 1 Chronicles chapter 5. So the God of Israel stirred up the spirit of Pul, king of Assyria, even the spirit of Tilgath Pilsner, king of Assyria, and he carried them away into exile, namely the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and brought them to Hala, Habor, Hora, and the river of Gozon to this day. This is what that tells me. We are going to be in battles wherever we are. And so if I'm going to have to fight anyway, I would rather fight the Lord's battles than fight in my own strength outside of the promised land. Next set of verses, please. The sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said to your servants, so we will do. We ourselves will cross over, armed in the presence of the Lord, into the land of Canaan. And the possession of our inheritance shall remain with us across the Jordan. So Moses gave to them the sons of Gad and the sons of Reuben and the half-tribe of Joseph, son of Manasseh, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, and the kingdom of Og, the king of Bashan, the land with its cities and their territories, the cities of the surrounding land. It's easy to read past that, but do you see what's happened? At the beginning, only Reuben and Gad wanted to stay behind, but now half the tribe of Manasseh has also decided it's best to stay behind. That's the problem, isn't it? When I'm like Reuben, or when I'm like Gad, and I say, I don't want to move on, I don't want to go further, Do you know what can happen? Now others are affected by my lukewarmness. Now this is especially true if you have people who look up to you, and we all probably have at least one person who looks to us for some kind of guidance. But really you may be thinking, was it that big of a deal 
that they stayed behind with their cows? Well, it may interest you to know that these descendants of these people were the Gadarenes. You may remember that name from the fifth chapter of Mark. There is a story in Mark chapter 4 that Jesus' disciples had gone through a storm so terrifying that even these seasoned fishermen all thought they were going to drown. And on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, they found themselves in another difficult place, in a cemetery surrounded by pigs. It was not only unclean due to the pigs, but it was also unsafe because a man was demon-possessed by a legion of demons. Don't send us away from here, the demons begged. Just send us into the swine, a pig being as good as a man and a man being as good as a pig in their view. Jesus gave them permission, and the demons entered into the swine, and the pigs ran into the Sea of Galilee. If I didn't respect you so much, I would tell you the demons and the pigs were the first case of deviled ham. Or worse yet, when the pigs killed themselves, it was a clear case of suicide. Like, oh no, we had visitors too. But anyway, hearing this report, people in the city came out to see what had been done to their cash crop. And they saw this man sitting clothed and in his right mind. And it was at this point that now the people of Gadara are afraid. And amazingly, they asked Jesus to leave, which he did. Jesus then sends the former demon-possessed man back to Decapolis to testify to what Jesus had done for him. But here's the question that often gets lost in this story. Why, there on the edge of Galilee, was there a thriving pig industry to begin with? My point being, what were Jews doing Raising pigs. Pigs were considered unkosher and unclean. Do you see what's happened? The tribe of Gad has went from raising cattle to raising pigs. And shortly after that, the men of the town came and asked Jesus to leave their shore. Why? Because they were more concerned about pigs than the soul of a man. They used to be comfortable raising cattle. And now they're comfortable raising pigs. And Jesus has upset their routine. So as we close, what I want us to get this morning from all of this is let's never make the same mistake that the so-called disciples made in John chapter 6. When Jesus began to ask hard things of them, they decided it wasn't worth following him. And so they walked away thinking they could have a better life without Christ. But that's never the case. All the cattle and all the lush green grass we think will satisfy us will eventually turn into pigs. When we make sinful choices, the things we thought to attain will begin to degrade. And we will end up with something entirely different than what we had hoped for. So let's all strive to never settle for anything other than what God has promised us. It is always the best way to live. Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh made a monumental mistake by choosing a place of comfort rather than a place of commitment, by opting for affluence rather than obedience.
This land is good for our cattle and for our families, they said. You know, by the time Jesus walked their land, the cattle had morphed into swine. If you want your cattle to do well, take them into the promised land. Otherwise, they will turn into pigs. And if you want your kids to do well, take them with you into the promised land. Otherwise, they will be the ones who prefer Jesus to part from their coast. But what if I feel like I've walked away to some degree? And Jesus would tell you the same thing he told the church at Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. But I have this against you that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do your first deeds again. All you have to do, remember, repent, and repeat. Remember the time when your faith was vibrant and alive. Repent of whatever you have put in the place of God. And then repeat the things that you did when your walk was solid. I ask all of us, is our praise more fervent? Is our prayer more intense? Is our commitment to the kingdom greater? Our time in the word richer? Our knowledge of God larger? Or is it even less than it was two years ago? If that is the case with you, you can change all of that this very day. Press in. Go on. Don't stop. It will be worth it all. And Father, I pray that every heart represented in this room and every heart that will see this on video that you would speak to them right now, Lord. Our heart is deceitful and can deceive us in many ways. I pray your spirit would reveal to us where we truly are with you. Ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. This being the first Sunday of the month, I ask Elder